He was an all-state football and basketball player. At times, he was an apprentice boilermaker, a prize fighter, a cemetery plot salesman, a steeplejack... I had to look it up that someone who climbs tall structures such as chimneys and steeples to carry out repairs. But it wasn't until Leonard Jeff started selling snack foods that he found his calling, turning a small investment into Jay's Foods, maker of Jay's Potato Chips, a longtime Chicago favorite. I'm Tommy Henry. Welcome to the Chicago History Podcast. Today we're talking salty goodness, specifically Jay's Potato Chips, the key product of a company founded in Chicago nearly 100 years ago by a guy who came from Little and went on to build a snack empire. The story of Jay's begins with Leonard Jap, Jap spelled with two P's, who was born on February 21st, 1904, to a father who was a track layer for the railroad and whose mother was often in poor health. Growing up in Wells, Minnesota, about 25 miles north of the Iowa border, the family barely scraped by. At the age of six, Leonard was helping support his family by scavenging for coal along nearby railroad tracks to help heat their home and selling religious pictures door to door. When he was 12, he worked on farms from Kansas to the Canadian border following the seasonal wheat harvest. After graduating from high school in 1921 at the age of 17, he hopped a freight train in Minnesota headed to Chicago. Jap's early days in Chicago, including being a lifeguard on Oak Street Beach alongside a young Johnny Weissmuller who grew up in Chicago and was recognized as one of the world's fastest swimmers in the 1920s, winning five Olympic gold medals for swimming and one bronze medal for water polo. Weissmuller also went on to famously portray the title character in the Tarzan movies of the 30s and 40s. Leonard Jap, a natural southpaw, also boxed for money, and during this time, as the story goes, met an aspiring English-born vaudeville comedian from Cleveland, Ohio, named Leslie Towns Hope, who fought under the name Packy East. Leslie later changed his name to Lester Hope, and after becoming successful as a performer, adopted the stage name Bob Hope. In 1927, Jap and his partner George Gavora put $5 down on a beat-up $50 truck, with the rest to be paid in installments, and with another $22.50, about $330 in today's money, started selling pretzels, cigarettes, nuts, sandwich, fixins, and just about anything else they could to businesses around Chicago, including speakeasies. A frequent request was indeed for potato chips. Within two and a half years, the partners had their own frying vats, a fleet of 15 new trucks, and a full assortment of snacks under the company name Honey Bee Potato Chips. Then, in August 1929, the Great Depression hit. All of the Honey Bee money was tied up in the Casper American State Bank, which went bust, taking their company down with it. 
Leonard Jett made ends meet during the Depression as a truck driver, a window washer, and even went back to boxing by sparring with Buddy Bayer, a heavyweight boxer who lost twice to famed heavyweight Joe Lewis for the championship. Buddy Bayer, in case the name sounds familiar, was the younger brother of Max Bayer, who was also a heavyweight boxing champion and actor. Max Bayer's son, Max Bayer Jr., was the actor best known for playing Jethro on the Beverly Hillbillies. Outside of work, Leonard married his first wife, Irene Day, in 1927 and had three daughters. Their firstborn, Laverne, born in 1927, died at the age of two, and a son, Leonard Jr., born in 1932. Irene died in 1938 at the age of 32. During the mid-1930s, Jab found some good fortune when he borrowed $10 to bet on a horse, a gamble that paid off. He was able to buy another truck and resumed distributing snack foods. Ever the hustler, he was buying chips from a company called Mrs. Fletcher's and putting his own label on them. In 1938, Leonard and his new business partner, George Johnson, a salesman for Kraft, started Special Foods Company, which regained a lot of the market in snack sales around Chicago after the stock market crash wiped out Honey Bee. Unhappy with their relationship with Mrs. Fletcher's and how they made their chips, Jap and Johnson started sourcing chips from a company in Madison, Wisconsin. It was nice and light. 1,000% better than what we were selling. We decided to go that route, and in no time at all, we were doing great. Jeff was quoted in a November 1985 Chicago Tribune article. The company in Madison went out of business, and the partners began getting a similar chip from Blue Star Foods in Rockford, Illinois. Soon after, special foods demand for chips was too much, and Blue Star asked them to go elsewhere. They decided to start their own manufacturing and bought an $18,000 automatic potato chip maker and put in a warehouse at 40th and Princeton on Chicago's south side. Jap, who got remarried in 1939 to a woman named Eugenia Pazinski, began selling their key product, Mrs. Jap's potato chips, in large metal cans. Until then, most chips were made in lard. Mrs. Chap's chips were one of the very first to be fried in corn oil, which created a lighter product. Because of the hardships caused by the Depression, Eugenia Jap was especially interested in helping housewives stretch their food budgets. Eugenia is credited with starting a practice that is commonplace today. She began putting recipes on the potato chip packages. Leonard Jap was quoted as saying, My wife had run a chain of bakeries and was a fine cook. She kept telling us we had a fine product, but we had to tell people how to use it. She came up with a recipe for tuna fish casserole with potato chips. He said, People would now, of course, buy a bag of Mrs. Jap's chips to eat and one to cook with. Come to think of it, I could go for a potato chip cookie right now. When Pearl Harbor was bombed on December 7, 1941, an anti-Japanese sentiment was high as Jap became a derogatory word for the new U.S. enemy. Grocers began calling to have Mrs. Jap's chips removed from shelves. The special foods team quickly came up with 30 alternate names, settling on J's. By the end of the war, Jap and Johnson were ready to go their separate ways. It was decided one would buy the other out using a blind bid. Quote, We wrote our bids on a piece of paper and agreed the higher one would win, Jap told the Chicago Tribune in 1985. I wanted to bid $120,000, but my wife said that if we wanted to keep the company, we should bid $150,000. When we turned over the bids, George had bid $145,000.
With George Johnson no longer part of the company, Leonard and Eugenia renamed the company Jay's Foods. By 1950, they were the top chip company in Chicago, not only with their potato chips, but with Jay's popcorn and other salty treats as well. It was around this time they came up with their memorable slogan, Can't Stop Eatin' Em. It wasn't until 1963 that Frito-Lay started using the phrase, Bet You Can't Eat Just One. And because it isn't a Chicago story without a local bombing, on July 10th, 1950, a mysterious bombing at the Special Foods Factory at 4052 South Princeton Avenue broke a door and windows at the plant and shattered glass in surrounding homes. And, because Chicago, neither owner Leonard Jap or plant superintendent Frank Martin could give police any suspected reason for the bombing. In 1954, the Jay's Foods plant was moved to 825 East 99th Street, where it would remain for more than 50 years. On December 23, 1956, it was reported a fire at a Jay's distribution center on East 117th Street, destroyed 21 trucks and caused $75,000 damage. That's about $707,000 in today's money to the building. I could not find any mention of a fire investigation to determine what started this. In 1957, Leonard Jap's son Leonard Jr. joined the company after six years in the Marines. He had been working at the factory since he was young and would often work at Jay's Foods when he was on leave. Sometime in the 60s, Jay's switched from the metal cans to the less expensive and easier-to-ship boxes. In the early 60s, when bowling was incredibly popular in the U.S., packages of Jay's chips included certificates for free bowling games. Looking at the ads for this, which I'll include on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages, I had no idea there were so many bowling alleys in Chicago back then. They also included free pencils and packages of chips as part of their back-to-school ads. Of course, these pencils had the Jay's logo all over them. In 1962, President John F. Kennedy asked Leonard Jap to lead a trade mission to the Soviet Union as a snack ambassador to promote potatoes and snack foods. Many generations of Chicago schoolchildren toured the Jay's Foods plants at 825 East 99th Street on field trips, leaving with those Jay's pencils and plenty of free samples. We fed them lunch, too, Jap was quoted in 1996. Every boy and girl who ever visited our plant received a free hot lunch. I always like to see little schoolchildren eat good meals. In 1968, Leonard Jap, a member of the Medina Country Club in the suburbs of Chicago, formed the Country Shrine Club to benefit the Shriner Hospitals for Children in Chicago. Starting with a first donation of $1,000, about $7,300 in today's money, to the hospital from an invitational golf event, by May 22, 2017, marking 50 consecutive years of annual golf invitationals, Gifts totaled more than $2.5 million for the welfare of the children and the fiscal health of Chicago Shriners Hospital. By the early 70s, Jay's had close to 75% of the market in Chicago. Jay's Foods was even able to hold their own against a new chip introduced by Procter & Gamble called Pringles. 
Although the Pringles ad campaign was spending close to $750,000 in Chicago and another $350,000 in Milwaukee, the $200,000-plus counter campaign mounted by Jays focused on their additive-free chips. Consumers responded positively, and hometown Jays sales continued to increase. In 1975, the Chicago Tribune ran an article titled Jay's Recipe for Success, which was a simple one. Peel and slice 104 million pounds of white potatoes, cook them in 10.4 million pounds of hot corn oil, then add 104,000 pounds of salt. At the time, 14,900 pounds of chips left the assembly line per hour. Interestingly, by the time 100 pounds of potatoes were peeled and the sugar, starch, and water was removed, the production line was only left with 25 pounds of potato chips. Not sure if that ratio has been improved over the years. Jay's was focused on Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Indiana. Any shipment of more than 200 or 300 miles endangered freshness. Even though the recession of the mid-70s was in full swing, snack food sales on things like chips were strong as people were staying home. Thomas A. Stanislavski, executive vice president and treasurer of Jay's Foods at the time, went on to say that even though raw food prices had gone up, Jay's Foods would not be raising their prices that year. Quote, More volume will keep our people, 700 employees, working and will also give us a foot in the door when the economy turns around. And if we raise our prices, people will find that they can do without snacks if the price is too high. We want to keep our people working, even if it means making lower profits. Starting around 1977, Borden, Inc. started making offers to buy the company, but those offers were deemed too low to be considered. Mrs. Eugenia Jap, who had helped her husband Leonard build Jays into the snack powerhouse, was a vice president when she died in 1983 at the age of 72. By the mid-80s, Jay's Foods was a $60 million a year operation, which is about $143 million in today's money. Jay's Foods remained a family business until 1986 when a decision was made to sell. Annual earnings at the time were $64 million. Borton Inc., the company that had lowballed offers for nearly a decade, purchased Jay's and its assets. Borden tried to expand into other parts of the country and failed. And by 1984, the brand was losing $17 million a year as a small branch of the Borden corporate tree. Meanwhile, the Jap family couldn't get chips out of their system. Borden put Jays on the market in 1994 for just under $15 million. Leonard Jap was quoted as saying, I remember because the news came out around the time of my 90th birthday. Our family was together and I said to my son, How would you feel about buying the company back? I was half joking, and Len gave me a look, and I knew I had to check into the deal and put together a group of stockholders. In August of 1994, the Jap family took back control of Jay's Foods, much to the delight of their longtime employees. Jay's Foods quickly returned to profitability. 1995 sales were said to be $95 million, and in 1996, that number increased to $120 million. That progress began to stall as industry giant Frito-Lay continued its efforts to dominate store shelves. On October 1st, 1999, Leonard Jap Jr. died at age 67. He had been with the company for nearly 40 years. 
Leonard Jeff III was named president and CEO one month later on November 1, 1999. Nearly five months after Leonard Jeff Jr.'s death on March 29, 2000, Leonard Jeff III suffered a fatal heart attack while lifting weights at the Fitness Center Sports Club in Frankfort, Illinois, a southwest suburb about 36 miles from downtown Chicago. On October 24, 2000, Leonard Jeff Sr., Patriarch of the family and the man who started it all passed away at age 96, leaving behind his third wife Janice, as well as surviving children, many grandchildren, and even more great-grandchildren. Employees who had worked for him for 30-plus years said he knew everyone's name. Stephen Jap, Leonard Jap's grandson, was named CEO of the company. With bigger, better-funded national brands cutting into their efforts to maintain shelf space, coupled with an aging distribution system, profits slipped and Jay's Foods declared bankruptcy in March of 2004. An equity investor bought Jay's for about $30 million in August of that year. Called Ubiquity Brands, they launched a new product, Sweet Baby Rays, and developed a health-oriented marketing plan for Jay's. Although $13 million was invested to upgrade the Jay's Chicago plant and another $5 million was spent to acquire and refurbish a warehouse across the street, that company did not last. On October 11, 2007, Jay's Foods went into bankruptcy once again. At the November 30, 2007 auction, Pennsylvania-based Snyders of Hanover, founded in 1909, bought the company for $24.5 million and took control of that company on December 4th. On December 6th, they closed the 99th Street plant amidst protests from employees. Snyders offered employees one-week severance and nothing for accrued vacation time. At one point, 10 to 12 semi-truck trailers a day were bringing potatoes to the plant on 99th Street, approximately 2.5 million pounds of potatoes a week. By the end, much of the production had shifted to Jeffersonville, Indiana, by the previous owners. Leonard Jap Sr., the man who started it all, is buried at the Oak Ridge Glen Oak Cemetery in suburban Hillside, Illinois. The inscription on his gravestone, which has an image of him and the Jays logo, reads... Leonard Jap Sr., February 21st, 1904 through August 24th, 2000. From farm boy to entrepreneur, his dedication and hard work led him to become a Chicago legend, founding Jay's Potato Chips. A loving husband, dedicated father, and generous philanthropist, he will be missed dearly. According to the response I received to my question to Snyder's, Jay's Potato Chips are currently being manufactured in Indiana. Did you ever tour the Jay's factory? Do you remember the commercials? Are you now craving a bag of salty potato chip yumminess? Feel free to let me know if you have any questions about anything discussed today. Also, if you have a topic you think might be a good fit for a future episode of the Chicago History Podcast, send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. Listener Gloria Howder did. Thanks, Gloria. Researching this one was fun. Thanks, as always, to John K. Schneider for creating the Chicago History Podcast logo and the art used on the social media pages. He can be found at angeleyesartjks on Instagram or via email at angeleyesartjks at gmail.com. As always, like, subscribe, and kindly review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend. 
It helps us get the word out and reach new history fans and fans of Chicago. Get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe. Thanks for listening.